Money Sense is brought to you by the Ellenbecker Investment Group, three-time recipient of the Better Business Bureau's Torch Award for Business Ethics and Integrity. The Ellenbecker Investment Group is the only Wisconsin investment company to receive this prestigious award more than once by providing exceptional planning and extraordinary service each and every day. Go to ellenbecker.com. Listen to Money Sun Saturdays at 2 p.m. and Sundays at noon. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the Senior Wealth Advisor and the founder of the Ellenbecker Investment Group. And as I say each week, we're in that great big beautiful town bank building in Pewaukee. And we're also in the village of Whitefish Bay. We're in the Equitable Bank building, which everybody knows where Winkies is. We're right across the street from there. And particularly now when I look at the weather the way it's been, it's nice to know that we can service our clients in Bonita Springs, Florida. Today is really... um, a special day for me because one of the things that I love about doing Money Sense and I've been doing it for almost 30 years now is that I'm always learning something and it really helps me to be better at what I do and I happen to be talking to a principal just recently about his school and I had started a um, nonprofit called Connect, Nourish, and Grow, which was really an opportunity to help schools figure out how to get parent engagement. And that particular school did not have a lot of parent engagement. And so I set out on a quest to meet as many people in the city of Milwaukee that were dealing with education so that I could really understand more fully what was going on. And so I had an opportunity to sit down with Henry Tyson, who is the superintendent at St. Marcus Lutheran School. And to my great surprise and joy, he gave me all the time that I needed. He was not in a rush. And when I was done, I looked at him and I said, I did not know any of this. I didn't fully understand it. And if I didn't really understand it, you know, I'm thinking many of my listeners may not really know what's going on with our education. We do hear numbers out there. We hear people talking about it. We hear a lot of negative things going on in the city. And another big surprise I had is I was blown away by how many people are in the city doing things to help with education, to help kids. And there's a lot of people, and one of the things that I hope will come from some of the things we're doing is that more of us can align with each other so we can have a bigger impact. So, Henry, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Wow. Um, I, again, I'm going to thank you for all the time that you gave me to help me to really understand what was going on. And is there really an educational crisis in Milwaukee? And, and what does it look like? Uh, there absolutely is. Uh, unfortunately, it's not just Milwaukee. Uh, there's two crises we should talk about. One is the national crisis, and then the other one is the local crisis. Uh, I was recently reading the book Unshackled by uh, Clint Bolick, who is a Supreme Court justice in Arizona. Uh, and in his book Unshackled, he had this astonishing quote. In terms of math performance, the most impoverished impoverished. of students in Shanghai, China, outperformed the top 10% most affluent U.S. students. And what Bullock is writing about is the fact that as a nation, we are falling behind dramatically educationally. Uh, And his book, Unshackled, is a good one to read to understand that more fully. Uh, But you're referencing the local crisis. And and here in Milwaukee, uh, we have a massive crisis. 
and, and what that crisis is, is tens of thousands of students not being educated uh, so that they can be functional in any kind of an economy. Uh, and so what does that specifically look like? Uh, it looks like Wisconsin having the highest percentage of black students uh, at below a basic level of any state in the union. Uh, and then it, it looks like dozens of schools uh, where far less than 5% of the student population can read at grade level. In fact, there are six schools in the city of Milwaukee right now where 0% of the students scored proficient or advanced uh, on the state forward exam. Uh, and 20 schools uh, where, they, where two, only 2.5% scored proficient. Uh, and from that educational crisis, we have uh, all kinds of problems in the city of Milwaukee that are getting worse. When you talk about that, it, it isn't something that just happened overnight. And a lot of people talk about COVID and the pandemic as having such a negative impact. But it didn't start there. It started and that was just an accumulation. So how did it get so bad? Well, particularly, you know, my, the St. Marcus, the school I'm at, is 95% African American. And so the fact of the matter is that when you segment out white students, Hispanic students, African American students, the educational crisis is really on the north and west side of the city, and it's amongst the African American students. Uh, and if you want to go uh, all the way back and trace where are the roots of the crisis, it goes all the way back to the 1920s, the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, when essentially the black population was shut out of access to decent schools. Uh, and that struggle persisted throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, and again, for, for listeners who really want to dig into the history behind this, there's a book by Jack Doherty titled More Than One Struggle which unpacks a century of struggle in the black community to gain access to decent schools. And it's a fairly unique story in Milwaukee because segregation in our city has been so deep and so persistent. Uh, and so it's a legacy, a generational legacy uh, that we have never managed to resolve. And there are now systems in, and structures in place that are perpetuating the problem, uh, some of it within the educational system, uh, and some of it more broadly within the community. Uh, COVID certainly exasperated the problem, but you're correct in noting that uh, this problem has, has persisted for a very, very long time. I just participated in a class where there was about 25 of us, and we looked at uh, many of the situations around the world that are making things very difficult. And we looked at immigration and, you know, a whole variety of different things. And at the end of every one of these classes, there was like eight of them. At the end, everything came down to nothing's going to change until we have education not just even educating the, the smaller, younger children, but educating adults on what's happening in the world. And you gave me a piece that said, education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world, Nelson Mandela. How is the world going to change if we're not even educating the young children that are going to be leading this country, the ones that are going to be making decisions, the ones that are going to... Um, 
be moving this country forward. And we look globally, and it's people being uneducated about what's happening in the world as well. So education is huge. It's like the roots of everything out there. That's correct. And, uh, you know, this, is, this has been known for a really long time. In fact, Abraham Lincoln, in his very first public address, before he ever served in any position, in that first address, he said that uh, education was the most important topic that we as a nation could be engaged in discussing. Uh, and I think we all know that Abraham Lincoln spent very little time discussing education as, as an issue because he was distracted by far bigger issues. Uh, but even if you follow elections, today's elections, particularly in cities like Milwaukee, but also statewide, uh, education is an extremely thorny issue because it's ultimately about money and it's about the preservation of power. And, and politicians on both sides of the aisle are very, very disinclined to seriously engage in a dialogue around failing education systems. Uh, there are very different views on how education should be fixed. Uh, and folks on either side of the aisle, if they step out on a limb with some uh, bold, courageous ideas, uh, they generally pay for it politically. And so whether it's Abraham Lincoln or the quote from Nelson Mandela that you read, I think we all understand if you don't educate children, democracy will fail uh, and your economy will fail. Uh, and yet politicians are still very disinclined to deal with it, which is why it, it feels as though conversations like this are critically important because your listeners need to be engaged. Your listeners need to be empowered uh, to call politicians and say, listen, we've got to fix this. Uh, the most recent mayoral election in Milwaukee uh, had almost no dialogue around education. The big topic was public safety, which is so ironic for the very point that you made, that without education, we're never going to solve the public safety issues. And yet it's far easier to be tough on crime than it is to be tough on education and say, let's fix this. And so it really doesn't happen. My guest today is Henry Tyson. He is the superintendent of St. Marcus Lutheran School, which is located right here in Milwaukee. And as I said earlier, I sat down with Henry to talk about what's going on in Milwaukee. And I was just um, amazed at how much I didn't know and how many assumptions I made about things I didn't think I knew and realized that I, I really wasn't, it wasn't accurate. And so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the different schools in Milwaukee. Um, we've got the charter schools, we've got um, the private schools. And uh, we're going to just sort of look at what do we have, what's working, and what's not working. And then one of the things that when I was part of this group, at the end, we all said, what can we do about this? And you know, I really felt that some of these issues that were worldwide, and I was so glad to know about them, but I didn't feel that I was in a position that I could really make a big difference. But I do think each one of us here in Milwaukee, this is, this is, our, this is where we live. This is our communities. This is our, our children. And each and every one of us, I believe, my listeners, myself, my family, has the opportunity to make a difference, to find a way that they can help alleviate this and be 
first step is just being aware. And with that, we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker. I'm the Senior Wealth Advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. I'm also the founder of the Ellenbecker Investment Group, and, and I've been blessed to be able to do this radio show for nearly 30 years and to bring education to the forefront. And I've never sold a product on this show. It's always been about being educated not only in your own financial awareness but what's going on because there's nothing more important in our community than how our money is being spent and where it's going and to really be aware of where we need to focus and I think the one of the most important things right now is to focus on education and what's happening in the city of Milwaukee my guest today is Henry Tyson he's the superintendent of St. Marcus Lutheran School welcome back again Henry and Tell us a little bit about St. Marcus, because you are having success at St. Marcus, and you have a recipe um, for that. But one of the things that's made me very sad is, as I've been talking to so many different schools, that some schools have so much and some schools have so little. That's correct. Uh, And it's um, our, our funding systems in, in Wisconsin and in Milwaukee are inequitable, which results in the haves and the haves not, have-nots, which perpetuates these cycles of, of dramatic failure. So St. Marcus is 150 years old this year. It was founded in 1872. Uh, our low point was 1981, where we had just 56 students. There was white flight going on in Milwaukee, uh, and the Lutheran population pretty much up and left. Uh, And and so that was the low point. Today, we have three campuses. Uh, The third campus, the Harambe campus, opened just last year. We're serving 1,200 students from three-year-olds through eighth grade. The school is about 93% African-American and about 82% low income. And we do get tremendous results. We have uh, an 87% high school graduation rate a 90% student return rate year after year. Uh, And we see our graduates go on and thrive. Uh, So we have been blessed uh, to achieve a pretty high level of success. We have a long way to go until we'll be satisfied, but our students and our graduates are thriving. Tell us a little bit about the different types of schools in Milwaukee. There are the Christian schools, there are the public schools, the charter schools, and you talk about the funding. Um, Can you give us a little bit, give my listeners a little bit of insight into where that money goes? I believe each child for the school is given from the state $8,750 to run a school. I mean, that's teachers, that's paying everything that has to be paid in order to educate the children. And when I've been talking to various different schools, a lot of schools raise money, and I've been told that it takes to do a really good job, it takes another $2,500 per student. Yeah, I think at least. So currently there's about 114,000 uh, kindergarten through 12th grade students in Milwaukee. 
uh, 55% of those students attend the Milwaukee public schools. And that's down dramatically from about 85% just 20 years ago. So the Milwaukee public schools have been bleeding students. The two areas that have been growing dramatically are the private voucher schools like St. Marcus. 26% of the students in Milwaukee now attend a private voucher school using a state-funded voucher. And then 14% are in public charter schools. So the difference between a voucher school and a charter school is a charter school is definitively public. It doesn't report to the Milwaukee public schools. It might be chartered by UWM or the city of Milwaukee or the Milwaukee Area Technical College. And then the voucher schools are definitively private. So we have our own boards uh, and we operate independent of the government. The final 5% of students are in schools outside of the city of Milwaukee through various programs. And the funding is dramatically different. So if you are a child who attends the Milwaukee public schools, taxpayers are paying about $15,000, and the district is receiving about $15,000 for every child. That doesn't include federal money. That's just the state money. And then if a child goes to a charter school, that number is about $9,300. And then if they attend a school like St. Marcus, the number is 8500 So the voucher schools get uh, a fraction of what the public schools get. Uh, and when we talk about the educational crisis, the problem in the public schools is very, very different from the challenges in the private schools. And in the private schools, the major problem is this funding inequity, this gap of about 6,000 students between the public school student and the private school student. And so the voucher amount that we get on average for every child is about 8,500. St. Marcus spends about 11,000 for each child. So we raise $2,500. Uh, for, each, for each child, that's about uh, $3 million a year, which is a heavy lift. And I would argue, when, you know, when people visit St. Marcus and they say, Henry, why isn't everybody you know, a five-star school, a school that significantly exceeds expectations? Why aren't all schools getting 90% of their students or their graduates through high school? Uh, part of my answer is uh, because the funding just isn't there. We are extremely blessed to have a large support base uh, where we're able to add $2,500 for each child. And that comes out to about 35 additional employees. Uh, so we have a, a, a large group of people who provide special education services to our 95 special education students. Uh, we have coaches to coach the teachers. Uh, we can provide after-school activities, before-school care. We have athletics, music, art. And when you take that extra 2500 away, a lot of those services go away. And particularly in schools that are predominantly low-income, it then becomes very, very difficult to get good results. What is the impact on the teachers? You and I talked about the teachers and the burnout. I mean when they don't have what they need to teach. And one of the other things that I explored, of course, is the whole concept of parents not being able to get to teachers' conferences for a whole variety of reasons. Some maybe don't want to go, but the majority want to go. But there's roadblocks for them. Yeah, I mean, so 
I think a lot of people don't appreciate the actual challenges of being poor in a city like Milwaukee. Uh, it's both extremely difficult on the individual parents, many of whom are living in substandard housing. When it's time to go to the grocery store, they're waiting on a bus. They're taking you know, a group of kids with them because it may be a single family home. Getting to school can be a challenge. Getting to the doctor can be a challenge. So getting to a parent-teacher conference can be a challenge. There's no question that being poor is difficult. It's also extremely difficult, therefore, to run a really high-performing school serving predominantly low-income children. And, and one of the huge tragedies and like systemic inequities is the fact that children on a voucher are generally low-income children. And yet their state funding is $8,500 versus many of the wealthier districts where we're spending dollars $15,000, $16,000, It just doesn't make sense that the poorest children in the, city of, in the state of Wisconsin have the least amount of funding. Uh, so it is extremely challenging on both ends. Part of the answer I would provide to that is we get a high level of parent engagement in parent-teacher conferences because we insist on it. So uh, new parents to the school tend not to show up for their conferences. Uh, and when they don't show up, we reach out to them, and we insist that they do it, and we find ways for them to do it. So I think we'd all agree that in an ideal world, Parents are highly engaged, both in their child's education, because they're educated and they can be, and in their child's school. The fact of the matter in, in high poverty communities like Milwaukee is that a lot of the families are single, single parent families. Uh, they've got one breadwinner who's working all day. Uh, they might have had a bad experience in their own education. And they simply have almost no capacity to be highly engaged in their child's education. And my argument would be that schools like St. Marcus need to be able to figure out how to include those parents in the educational process without expecting them to be engaged, engaged in a way that they can't possibly be. So our philosophy is to actually expect relatively little from parents but to hold them highly accountable to doing those few things. So, for example, we expect parents to get their children to school, to get them there on time, to have them in uniform, and to make sure the homework is done. And if parents can do those four things, we can take care of the rest. Uh, and the, the tragedy in our city is there are a lot of families willing and able to do those four things, but the schools that their children are going to are completely dysfunctional. Uh, and that's public schools and that's private schools uh, for different sets of reasons. And so as a society, we can't actually change what's going on in the home and what parents are capable of. What we can do is agree that we're going to make sure that every single child has a great school to attend. When I think about myself, and having children and going to the school, it was just automatically assumed that you were going to go and participate in the school and go to teachers' conferences and, and do that. And yet it seems like there isn't a lot of emphasis put on that 
as I talk to people. It's and I think a lot of that is because superintendents, principals, teachers, they're overwhelmed. They're overwhelmed on a day-to-day basis just trying to get the kids in school because there's a lot of absenteeism. It's just like trying to hold it all together. Well, that's, and again, the problems are different in the public schools from the private schools. But but one of the issues, at least in the private schools, is many of them are underfunded. And if you're underfunded, you don't have the resources to follow up with parents and to hold them accountable. The public sector struggles because over the last sort of three decades, uh, we've sort of waved a white flag when it comes to parent accountability. There has been this overall narrative that we need to sort of feel sorry for poor parents and lower expectations. Uh, and I think that's, that's negligent and extremely unfortunate. What we have found is when you believe in parents and you demand a lot from parents and then you empower parents, they rise to the occasion. So for us, we have some parents who, who give us really good reasons why they can't come into a parent-teacher conference. Our answer is okay, Either we'll come to you or let's get on a Zoom call. But one way or another, you've got to do the conference. And yet that's not the overriding mentality, either through lack of resources or through lack of drive or through a, a philosophical belief that you just can't expect parents to do a conference. We've kind of waved the white flag. And that's where the tragedy is because parents will rise when you ask them to. My guest today is Henry Tyson. He's a superintendent at St. Marcus Lutheran School right here in Milwaukee. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Ellenbecker, Senior Wealth Advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. If you are enjoying this interview, I certainly am, you can go to ellenbecker.com and you can scroll down to radio shows, hit on Money Sense, and you have the ability to share this interview with anyone that you feel would be really interested in this issue. As I said earlier, my guest is Henry Tyson. He's the superintendent of St. Marcus Lutheran School. And I understand that St. Marcus is a school of choice. And what is the difference between that and then, of course, private schools and public schools? And I know that it is your school, so you're an advocate of it. Yeah, so school choice is really more of a concept that's new in the last 30 years, or at least in the public dialogue, it's perceived to be new which is essentially, essentially it means the parents have a choice either to stay in the traditional public schools or go to a public charter school or go to a private school at taxpayer expense. What's sort of interesting to me in America around the conversation around school choice is school choice isn't new. School choice has always existed in the sense that the top 25% of wage earners in America, the wealthy, have always exercised school choice, right? So if you're a wealthy individual, you might pay private school tuition. That's school choice. You might choose to move into a neighborhood. It's shocking to me how many Americans, when I talk to them about this, uh, when I ask them where they live and why, it's because of the school district, right? So that is the exercise of choice. And, and part of my contention is if the wealthy have always had the opportunity 
to select a school for their child. Shouldn't low-income families also have that choice? And essentially, the voucher program founded in the early 90s by uh, a brilliant and bold African-American Democrat by the name of Polly Williams with uh, the conservative governor, Tommy Thompson. When it was sort of born in the early 90s, it was because black families were screaming for the opportunity to have a way out of the public schools. And so school choice was born at that time for that very reason. And, and you know, St. Marcus is thriving and is serving uh, almost 1,300 students because we have vouchers. And the economic model is not perfect, as I've described. It's, <laughs> it's about three to $6,000 short of what is needed to run an exceptional school. Uh, but it gives families the possibility to attend a private school uh, free of charge. And so why is, why, are you, why is a choice school doing so much better than the other schools? So in recent years, the, the performance gap between the voucher schools and the public schools has widened. Uh, as of last year, 46% of the students in the Milwaukee public schools were attending a three, four, or five-star school. That's a school that meets expectations, exceeds expectations, or significantly exceeds expectations. Uh, in the voucher sector, 81% of students are in schools that are three, four, or five stars. And, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, I, I, I want to say that the job that the public schools have to do uh, is extremely challenging, like educating uh, the low-income families in a city like Milwaukee, whether you're public or private, is extremely difficult. So that ought to be acknowledged. But the edge that I think the private schools have is they are very often deeply mission-driven. They attract people who are mission-driven. And typically, as in the case of St. Marcus, they're driven by the gospel and a desire to disciple children, to share the gospel, uh, and to do whatever it takes to pour themselves out as Christ did for us uh, in service to others. Private schools tend to be less encumbered by um, unfunded liabilities, massive amounts of money going to retiree pensions or retiree health care. That siphons away a huge amount of money from the public sector. Uh, we don't have unions uh, putting people in narrow roles and dictating what they can and cannot do. You know, I was in the Chicago public schools for one year and was stunned uh, by how dysfunctional the school was that I was in, in large part because of the layers of union-issued rules that impacted what employees could and could not do. Whereas at St. Marcus, our attitude is, I'm going to do whatever it takes, whether it's my job or not. <laughs> like, let's get it done. Um, so uh, those two issues uh, are partly why we're successful. We can be extremely entrepreneurial. I think about um, an analogy being Southwest Airlines. You know, Southwest Airlines came about when TWA and Pan Am and airlines, Eastern Airlines, were going out of business. And the patterns are very, very similar. Legacy airlines with strong union presence, not able to be creative. And then Southwest comes along and says, you know, let's have one type of plane um, and let's be no frills and let's get it done and, and make love our slogan. <laughs> right. And, and 
passengers responded. And what happened to those other airlines? They went out of business. Uh, and we can do the same thing as a relatively small private school. We can be very, very entrepreneurial and creative. Um, as I mentioned earlier, parent accountability. We can hold parents accountable in ways that the public school simply cannot. Uh, and then finally, we have high expectations. We are constantly saying we're going to hold our amazing staff to high expectations, and we're going to hold students and parents to high expectations. I wrote down a couple things um, earlier today that I thought were really important to consider. The things that I know that I would like to be part of, and I would like to encourage my listeners to also engage in understanding this issue more and asking themselves what they can do. Some of the things that I think are important is that we have to inspire trust. We have to inspire trust between our parents and our schools, our community, getting our community involved. I'd love to see some of the businesses that are in these communities adopt these schools and help them to have a a, a better foundation and to be active. You've got employees. Go there and volunteer. Help out. Help out financially. Help out with people. Schools need people right now as much as they need money. Um, I think we want to create an environment of physical and psychological safety. And so we have to have these schools to address some of the things that are, are really difficult for them. It's important, I believe, to drive parent engagement and help these parents in ways that you have that they can get there. Some of them don't have transportation. They're not on bus lines. They're working. Um, Finding ways that we can create that opportunity. Um, We want to instill a culture of creativity and resilience for these kids uh, against some of the negative factors that sabotage success, like the gangs. You know, we're hearing about the gangs. We're hearing about drugs and alcohol-related issues, absenteeism, tardyism. I mean, these are things that are hard. They're complex, but they're doable. All we need is people. We need money. We need help. Um, And we're going to take a quick break, and I'd really like to talk to you, Henry, about what are some of the things that can be done to resolve some of these issues and to give everybody a fair shake. You know, it's really crazy what you said. You said, why shouldn't every student, even if they don't have financial means, why shouldn't they all be getting good school education? When I worked at the MNI Bank and I was vice president of the personal trust, I remember going to my boss and saying, I'd really like my parents to come here and be part of the trust company. And he said, how much money do they have? And I said, well, they've got about $300,000. He said, nope, the minimum's a million. And literally, that's one of the reasons I started my company, because I believed that everybody, regardless of how much money they had, should have the same solid tax advice, should have estate planning, should have people who are interested in who they are. But my parents, and even though I was working there, he said, absolutely not, unless they have a million dollars. And I thought, these are my parents. Why don't they deserve that same same type of caring? And that's really what we're talking about here today. And with that, we'll be right back.
Welcome to Money Sense. I'm Karen Allen Becker, the Senior Wealth Advisor and the founder of EIG. If you are as intrigued by this conversation that I'm having with Superintendent Henry Tyson, I would recommend that you go to ellenbecker.com, scroll down to radio shows, and you will be able to forward that and share that with anyone that you like. Henry, what can we do? There is a lot that we can do, uh, but we need everybody. Uh, I've been amazed at St. Marcus by the individuals and the companies that enable us to do what we do. Uh, there's a whole raft of people who, who give $2,500 a year so that one student can have a great education. There's a raft of volunteers who come in on a regular basis and read to kids. Uh, there's folks who have given major gifts so that we can build buildings uh, and serve as many students as we serve today. So everybody can get involved. But I loved what you said earlier. We, we, it starts with belief. We've got to believe that we as a city and as a state have a moral obligation and that it's possible, which I know that it is, to provide every single child with a high-quality school. Uh, and when we all believe that and when we all engage in some way, uh, we're going to start to make really dramatic progress. Uh, we have to believe that we make a difference, even if it's one child at a time. That's right. That's right. Um, the other thing that I would say is that we've got to value teachers more. Uh, you know, teachers, I would argue, are the most important people professionally in our society because they're raising the next generation. You know, the country of Finland had awful uh, educational outcomes and its economy was failing. And that country decided we're going to fix this by finding a way to attract the best and the brightest to be teachers. And then we're going to honor teachers. And Finland now has one of the very best educational systems in the world. Uh, and my push for listeners who don't know how to engage is find a school or find a teacher that you know through somebody and find a way to honor and celebrate that teacher. Uh, because teaching, whether you're in the public sector or the private sector, it doesn't matter. It's grueling work. It's extremely challenging. And so the very act of celebrating and thanking teachers is extremely meaningful. More systemically, we have an amazing opportunity in front of us in Wisconsin in the next uh, four months, and that's pertaining to the state budget. So most of your listeners are probably aware that our state now has a $7.1 billion surplus. And this provides an incredible opportunity to resolve the funding gap between the private schools and the public schools. Uh, it's about a $6,000 gap in the city of Milwaukee it's extremely unfair. It's one of the primary reasons why many students are failing. Uh, and this surplus affords us the opportunity to fix it once and for all. And so we need every listener, we need every citizen in Southeast Wisconsin to get on board with encouraging the legislature and the governor to resolve the funding gap or at least close the funding gap so that charter schools and private schools are more equitably funded. Because if every private school had the $2,500 extra that St. Marcus has through our incredibly generous donor base, I guarantee we would see dramatic progress in, in closing the achievement gap. Uh, and so the way to do that is to fund private and charter schools more equitably 
so that every school can provide the kinds of services that St. Marcus provides. So they need to reach out to their community. They need to reach out and lobby for this um, money to be funneled more towards schools. That's right, and it's simple. Call your state senator, your state representative, uh, and simply say, are you committed to working through the budget uh, to close the gap between the voucher schools and the public schools? Uh, and, And hopefully the legislators are able to say, yes, I'm on board with that. Uh, And if enough people push for that, it's really a once in a generation opportunity to deal with this issue. Uh, And and I am absolutely convinced it is the most important lever for improving educational outcomes in Milwaukee and therefore in the long run, improving the economic viability of the whole of southeastern Wisconsin. When we talk about writing and asking for our government to really take a hard look and a hard line on education and to close that gap. That's one of the things that every single listener can do. And But what are the things that they can do with their feet on the ground? You mentioned go and read at the school. So many people hear all the bad things that are going on, and they worry about going down to schools. They worry about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Help my listeners understand what they can do and how they can do it. Who do they contact at the school? How can they stay safe? And how can they make a difference? Because truly and honestly, we all want to make a difference. And sometimes we just don't know how and nobody's asked us. Well, it's a great question. I would invite any listener to reach out to me. And if your passion is public schools, I'll direct you to a public school. If it's charter schools, I'll direct you to a charter school. Come and visit St. Marcus. Visit a school, you may know somebody who works at Milwaukee College Prep or St. Augustine Prep or Carver Academy, wherever it may be, visit the school. Um, You know, I live, uh, St. Marcus's main campus is on North Avenue and First Street. It's in Harambe uh, and Brewers Hill. Um, I live a block away. Uh, It's safe to be there. Uh, It really is. You you come, uh, if if it's more comfortable, obviously during daylight hours, and you will absolutely be safe. But um, come visit. Come and see what is possible and what a great school looks like. Uh, And then we'll connect you. Uh, It may be with St. Marcus. It may be with another school. But we need everybody engaged in one way or another. Uh, And if folks just just don't want to do that, um, choose a school, call them up, and say, how can I help? And maybe it's providing lunch for the staff once a year. What a gift for the staff. What a way to say thank you. Um, maybe it's making a financial donation so that they can buy whatever it is that's needed on that campus. Uh, but personal engagement in some way, in my opinion, is the responsibility of every empowered adult uh, in our community. My guest today is Superintendent Henry Tyson. He is with St. Marcus Lutheran School, and I'm sure you've been listening to him, and you know why. When we met for the first time and talked, why I was so amazed by the things that I didn't fully understand and kind of listened to things on TV, and maybe it's just because 
sometimes I don't pause and sometimes I'm too busy and I think to myself, oh, that's awful. But then I go on and I don't do anything about it. But I am determined and committed to do something about it to the extent that I can and I know that I have the ability to. And I really do ask everybody to just pause long enough to look around you, look at the schools around you, look at where your businesses are and ask yourself, how can I make a difference? Henry, thank you so much. And as always, I hope that I've made a difference in your personal and financial well-being. Remember, before we plan, before we advise, before we invest, we always listen. Have a great weekend. Bye.